in the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear saints of God, we might be tempted to think that Paul is talking to someone else when he writes the letter to the Galatians. In fact, when he writes the little section that we had today from Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 21, especially when he starts it with this question, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? What, we might think? Desire to be under the law? That's not me. In fact, I've got no idea who in the world, who in their right mind would want to be under the law, for we live under the gospel, under the mercy of our Lord Jesus, under His love and grace and forgiveness. Those who desire to be under the law are you nuts? But just as Paul was an incredible student of our Lord Jesus and his nature and his work, so Paul was an incredible student of mankind, and he knows something about you and about me that we might even forget. And it is this. We are drawn towards the religion of the law like gravity constantly pulling us down to the earth, our flesh is constantly being pulled to the law, pulling you to become a practitioner of the religion of the law. So St. Paul in this section gives us a reminder and even a warning about what the religion of the law is and what it does. But first, the context. The church in Galatia, the dear saints that Paul is writing to, were being troubled by the false teachers that we've named the Judaizers. They were supposed Jewish converts from Jerusalem who followed Paul just about everywhere he went in order to undo what he had done. Now, I don't know if they saw it that way or if the churches saw it that way, but Paul certainly did. Paul would go into a city, and he'd go to the synagogue, or he'd go to the town square, he'd go wherever people would listen, and he would preach the gospel, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the forgiveness of all of our sins that comes through his shed blood. Paul would there overthrow every thought of works righteousness or self-made holiness. Forgiveness of sins it is found in Jesus' name and in his name only. Paul was a preacher of grace alone of faith alone, of Christ alone, for man's salvation. And by this preaching, Paul would, wherever he would go, he would found a church or churches, congregations. And he would train a pastor, or he would leave one of his companions behind to finish the work, and then he was off to the next town. And it seems, as we study the book of Acts and Paul's epistle, it seems like every time Paul would would step out of the city limits, the Judaizers would step in. They were right in his shadow, following behind him. They were so-called professionals from Jerusalem, experts in the law, children of Abraham, and they took upon themselves the work of completing Paul's teaching. At least that's what they said filling in the things that Paul forgot to mention. He was in a rush, after all. He was just interested in getting you started. But we will teach you the way to become perfect. And how was that? How were they to become perfect? 
What were the things that Paul had forgot to mention? Oh, things like this. Oh, oh yeah, you have to be circumcised. And oh, you can't eat pork and shellfish, and you have to observe the kosher laws. And oh, don't forget the Saturday Sabbath and the Jewish feasts. And don't forget all these other aspects of the law. For the Judaizers, the gospel might make you a Christian. It might get you in, get you started. But it was by the law that you're made perfect. Now you might not believe this, but the Christians in Galatia and the Christians throughout the whole world where Paul was starting these churches, they started to believe these things. Maybe they thought that this was the completion of Paul's teaching, but they were wrong. For this false doctrine, this false teaching, the idea that that we are made perfect by the law completely overthrows Paul's doctrine, the doctrine of Jesus, the teaching of the gospel. It completely undoes the grace and mercy of God. For there are two religions in the world, and these two are always opposed to one another, the religion of the law and the religion of the gospel. And these two are incompatible. So Paul writes his letter to the church in Galatia, to his dear saints to the dear saints and his friends there. In fact, almost all of Paul's epistles are motivated by a similar sort of thing. There's a false teacher comes in or a false practice in a congregation that he started and he hears about it and so he writes his letters. He's writing to the Galatians and in the passage that we heard this morning, he's going to tell them a story and paint a picture for them of these two religions and the results. So we have... In Paul's letter to Galatia, chapter 4, his allegory of law and gospel. In this picture, there are two mothers, two sons, two covenants, two mountains, two Jerusalems, and two results. One is the gospel, the other is the law, and one results in freedom, and the other results in slavery. The text is quite complex, so we'll look at it a verse at a time. And if you want to see it with your eyes, it's on the back of your bulletin. Verse 22, Paul writes, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Hagar was the name of the slave woman. She was Sarah's servant, and she bore Ishmael. Sarah was Abraham's wife. She was the free woman, and she bore Isaac. Verse 23. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Paul reminds us of the circumstances of these two boys' birth. When Abraham and Sarah could not conceive... And Abraham had reached an old age where he thought that there was no hope and that Sarah's womb had proven to be unfertile for all of these years. Sarah and Abraham came up with a plot. And Abraham went in to Hagar, Sarah's maidservant, and she had a boy. This is the son, says Paul, that's born according to the flesh, born according to man's working and planning and striving. This, though, is not the child of promise. 
Remember that Sarah and Abraham were in a tent when they were visited by God and the two angels. And at this extreme old age, the Lord promises to Abraham that he would have a son and Sarah would be its mother. And remember, Sarah is in the tent and she overhears this word of the Lord and she laughs. And the, and the Lord says to her, why did you laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. And he says, oh, you did laugh. When I come back in a year, you'll be pregnant with your boy. And it's true, Isaac is born according to the promise. And he's given the name Isaac, which means laughter, because Sarah laughed when she heard the promise. Verse 24, Paul continues. Now this, these two children may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now, Paul begins with his picture. Hagar, who has a child according to the flesh, is the same as Mount Sinai. That is the mountain on which the Lord God gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. And that is the same as the present-day Jerusalem, the source of these Judaizers, these false teachers who come having all of this authority. It's all the same. The Ten Commandments, righteousness by the law, pleasing God by the works, uh, by our works, trying to, trying to be holy by works of the flesh. It's all the same, and the end is slavery. This religion of the law has a mountain, Sinai, and the commandments. It has a city, Jerusalem, with all of its works, righteousness, and the teachings of the Pharisees and the scribes, and it has a result, bondage. But there is another religion, another child, who's born not of the flesh, but of the promise. And this is the religion of the gospel. This is pictured, says Paul, by Sarah and her son Isaac. And this religion also has a city, the heavenly Jerusalem, or the church. Verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the one that has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. You, says St. Paul, are not born of the flesh. You are born of the flesh of the promise. You have your life not by your works or your scheming or your striving, but by the word and promise of forgiveness. And, says Paul, if you go back and seek life through the works of the flesh, you are moving from your inheritance, from freedom to slavery, from life to death, from salvation to damnation. So Paul writes to the Galatians and warns them, these Judaizers that speak so smoothly and so convincingly are trying to make you slaves, slaves to the law, slaves to the working of the flesh. They're trying to convert you from the religion of the gospel to the false religion of the law. 
And this, says Paul, is what the religion and the teachers of the law always do. He finishes his allegory with these words, verse 29 and following, But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, Isaac, so it is now. Those, the, the, the teachers of the law are always chasing down the gospel to destroy it, attacking it, persecuting it, and troubling the church. But Paul continues, what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Paul is reminding us that only the children of the promise will inherit the blessing, and so we cast away the teachers of the religion of the law, those who would say that we can please God by our own works, those who would give us methods of being holy and righteous by our own efforts. You see, all of this is for us. Paul knows that our sinful flesh is an expert in the religion of the law, that this religion is our native religion, and it's always creeping in, creeping into our minds, creeping into our hearts, worming its way into our thoughts, and we are constantly being drawn to it, to this religion of the law, constantly being drawn into slavery and into bondage. Now, what does this temptation, this false belief, look like for you? It is, I suspect, a little bit different for each one of us, different for you than it is for the person sitting next to you, but it, li it might be a thought that sounds something like this. The Lord will love me if. Or the Lord will love me when. I do this and that. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. This thought is the thought of slavery. It is the chief teaching of the religion of the law. It says that God is not pleased with you unless you do something to change his mind. But dear saints, God's mind has been changed already. You have been rescued from sin and death and the devil by the death of Jesus on the cross. And God loves you not because of what you've done or because of what you haven't done, but because Jesus died for you. Your sins are all forgiven all of them, every single one of them. And by this forgiveness, you are free. You are a child of the promise. You are born again through the incorruptible word of God, which says that the Father smiles upon you. Just like the Judaizers, so we have the devil and the false teachers who are always trying to convert us. Convert us from the religion of the gospel to the religion of the law. But praise be to God that Jesus won't have it. 
He won't have the law, the religion of the law in his church. He casts it out so that he can have you in his love and in his mercy and in his kindness, in his heavenly Jerusalem, his freedom and light and life. All because he has declared you to be righteous and holy and perfect and forgiven in his sight by the blood of Jesus. So, dear saints, there are two religions in the world. The religion of the law, which ends in slavery, and the religion of the gospel, which ends in life. God, by his Holy Spirit, keeps us in this religion of the gospel. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.